You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller. One of the key benefits of technology transfer is that it can help to create new industries and new markets that simply wouldn't exist without the support of scientific research and development. By taking cutting-edge research and turning it into practical commercial products, we can create new jobs and new opportunities for entrepreneurs and innovators to build successful businesses. Today, to talk about how technology transfer enables economic and national security in the United States, I'm joined by Dr. Walter Copan. Dr. Copan is an accomplished leader in the field of science and technology. Currently, he is the Senior Advisor of the Renewing American Innovation Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies and serves as the Vice President for Research and Technology Transfer at the Colorado School of Mines in Golden, Colorado. Dr. Copan has held several leadership positions, including Undersecretary of Commerce for Standards and Technology and Director of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, also known as NIST. He has spearheaded the streamlining and modernization of foundational policies and practices for innovation and technology transfer, contributing to the economy and society. He was named the 2020 Laboratory Director of the Year by the U.S. Federal Laboratory Consortium and received the 2021 Bayh-Dole Award from Autumn for his contributions to innovation and technology transfer. Welcome, Walter. I'm really excited to have you here on the air. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be joining with you on our podcast today. Walter, I wanted to ask you, with your extensive experience in technology transfer and innovation, I'd love to hear your insights on how these processes can drive economic growth and innovation and their role in ensuring the long-term competitiveness of the United States. How do you see technology transfer enabling us to stay at the forefront of innovation and remain globally competitive? What a great question, and thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Uh, research leads to knowledge as well as inventions, and the transfer of those inventions into economic activity uh, results in a substantial portion of the value of the economy being influenced by the output of research. That research takes place certainly in the academic and uh, public sectors, but also in the corporate sectors and in uh, startup organizations around the country. Um, as we look at the importance to commercial value, we see that job creation and the opportunity for the cascade of economic impacts to be created through technology transfer. It's recognized certainly in relatively recent U.S. legislation, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, uh, the uh, Chips and Science Act, and, and others have created the biggest investment in industrial policy and innovation policy since the era of World War II. The time of the endless frontier was articulated by Vannevar Bush as he looked at the promise of uh, technology, uh, knowledge, and economic growth that would uh, link with the research enterprise in the nation. 
Now, as someone who is a former director of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, standards also play a very important role uh, in the adoption of uh, new technologies. It drives commerce within the nation. It also drives trade amongst nations. And so technology transfer is this key pathway uh, to impact. We all know that researchers want their work to have meaning. And ultimately, without intellectual property, without technology and knowledge transfer, uh, research will have limited uh, impact both within the nation and across the globe. Uh, and so it is an exciting opportunity to think about what technology transfer has accomplished. It's created a whole new profession uh, over the past uh, decades uh, since the time of the Bayh-Dole Act, the time of the Stevenson-Weidler Act of 1980. Um, and as we've seen from the statistics provided by uh, the Association of University Technology Managers, or Autumn, um, trillions of dollars have been created in the economy uh, over the last decades, uh, millions of jobs added, uh, and it's all attributable to the innovative talent of our research community and to the role that technology transfer plays in the economy. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that a lot of other countries look to the U.S. in terms of how to build the technology transfer ecosystem. Indeed. And we've seen uh, that not only have other nations adopted similar legislation, uh, but they have adopted best practices. They've come across the United States. They've looked at our regional innovation hubs. They've come to Silicon Valley, to the Boston uh, area, to San Diego uh, and to Austin, Texas um, and uh, and other parts of the country to benchmark, to learn best practices. Um, and in many ways, we've seen the technology transfer profession is also a tr uh, profession without borders. In many ways, uh, we have a global community that can utilize its own innovation resources um, and adapt what is best for their own economy, for their own people, for their own culture. So, Walter, given your insights on the potential of technology transfer to drive economic growth and innovation, I wanted to ask you about national security. It's something that's very, very important. So what do you believe are some of the key technologies and areas of research that are most critical for national security? And how can technology transfer play a role in ensuring their effective development as well as deployment? National security is clearly linked with economic security and with economic growth. And so as we look at the strength of an economy, uh, this provides respect within global trade uh, as the impact of technology in society is, is more and more uh, perceived. We see that there are technologies that can result in both commercial use as well as use uh, for direct national security applications. So we've seen clearly the impacts of supply chains in the semiconductor sector uh, recently and the importance of secure and trusted supply that is a direct linkage with national security. But the economy has also been dramatically affected uh, by disruptions in supply chains globally. Um, and so having a secure and trusted uh, supply arrangement, uh, both within country and also with trusted uh, uh, trading partners, the manufacturing sector has been increasingly important uh, as a source of innovation. It's not only a source of, of job creation, but also 
learning and, and knowledge creation. So as we make, as we manufacture, as we develop new processes, we learn new pathways of innovation. And as a country, the United States had a period of intense globalization uh, where we have seen some of the skills that are important to the innovation sector um, actually having been built in other nations. Um, and so we're at a very interesting time in the U.S. Uh, as we have these examples that are very clear uh, with regard to national security concerns and trusted supply, uh, the resurgence now of the semiconductor manufacturing in this nation uh, that has been concentrated uh, in a few other nations, although semiconductors were invented in the United States, have posed geopolitical risks and uh, and, and hence uh, national security uh, considerations. So chips are clearly a part of the technologies that uh, that drive national security. But we also look now to the promise of quantum science and engineering, the related products there, uh, advanced measurement capabilities, the biotechnology and healthcare sectors, um, biodefense itself, as well as cybersecurity, are all elements of both a functioning economy uh, and emerging markets, uh, but also are a critical part of national security consideration. So when we think about defense directly, we think about research in advanced materials, in energetic materials, nuclear science and technology. Hypersonics now are increasingly uh, important and visible within uh, the international frame. And so the United States um, as, and also other nations need to be considering all of these emerging areas that include the dual use types of technologies that have both a national security and defense application, uh, as well as economic uh, impact. And we similarly see the role that artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data itself is enabling new applications. But also, as with many technologies, we can see the dark side of, of, of where, uh, where they can lead that can have uh, personal as well as national security implications. Walter, we've discussed the potential of technology transfer and some of the opportunities as well as challenges that it presents. However, there are also some important obstacles that have to be addressed in order to make technology transfer a reality. With your experience, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what some of the key challenges are and what policymakers, universities and industry leaders can do to overcome them. It's so important, I think, as we look to the role of uh, technology transfer uh, that we recognize some of the challenges as well. And those challenges include uh, the lack of uh, protections in some cases uh, for business models that, uh, that can result from research and uh, development. So having a strong intellectual property system, strong and enforceable patent protections uh, is really the core to be able to invest and to receive a return on investment. So the Bayh-Dole Act has provided a foundation for intellectual property ownership and ultimately a pathway to commercial development uh, coming out of federally funded research at universities, uh, research institutes, federal institutes as well. Um, and the Stevenson-Widler Act uh, addresses 
technology transfer from the federal sector, from federal institutes, those that are owned by the government and operated by government. There are natural concerns about conflict of interest whenever the government is involved. And, and so it's, it's absolutely essential to understand the limitations in federal science and, and technology and, and find ways of engaging with the federal uh, employees and, and the results of their research. It's important to have a predictable intellectual property system. And so where there's lack of predictability, you also have lack of, of investment certainty. And so the venture capital community certainly considers the availability of protections uh, for business. There have been um, considerations about margin rights and how they may be utilized for purposes such as price control. A lot of concern about drug prices and availability, social justice aspects of, uh, of pharmaceutical and healthcare delivery. But it's so important that we also consider the incentives for industry to invest for entrepreneurs to take the personal risk and to ensure that the technologies ultimately uh, that are successful can get into the marketplace. We have, I think, a wonderful system for, uh, for innovation, uh, but there are risks, there are challenges. And I think that it's important for all the stakeholders to recognize those risks. We have... I think a very important time in the United States where we've created under the America Invents Act a series of new capabilities such as the Patent Trial and Appeals Board, the PTAB. If that process is misused, it can be to the detriment of innovation, the detriment of small companies and entrepreneurs as well. Another barrier is the availability of funding to take technology from the laboratory, to be able to de-risk it, to demonstrate it, um, and then ultimately to create the kind of interest from the private sector, from the investment community to take it to the next level. Another barrier that we see within the innovation process is the barrier of human capital. As we think about having skilled leaders with many technologies uh, coming forward, those leaders who are experienced, those who have been trained, uh, actually then provide the pathway to commercialization, the pathway of technology transfer. After all, technology walks on two legs. And, uh, and we see that uh, time and again that investors look to the right team. They look to the right leaders to invest in, uh, to create value, and to take a concept and bring it into the marketplace uh, in a credible way. I also think that, uh, lastly, that the barriers that we have seen with regard to partnership with the federal sector um, needs to have an update to our policies, to our legislation, to provide that uh, pathway, the ability for technologies to come from government laboratories and government research to achieve market uh, value and market impact. Uh, due to conflict of interest challenges, sometimes uh, entrepreneurs from within the federal sector actually need to leave the federal sector 
uh, because it's impossible for them to carry on in an entrepreneurial pathway as a federal employee also. And so finding ways to address that, there's proposed legislation uh, under the uh, Return on Investment Initiative, the green paper that came out of NIST, uh, does provide a pathway to new uh, partnerships, new flexibilities, and the ability to create not-for-profit foundations for the benefit of the federal sector, but to enable technologies to achieve market impact. So, Walter, I think we would all agree that collaboration and partnership between the public and private sectors is absolutely critical for advancing technology transfer as well as promoting innovation. What do you think are some of the key principles and strategies that can help to facilitate successful collaboration and partnership between these sectors? And how do you think technology transfer can be harnessed to make it happen? The essence of technology transfer, of course, is a linkage between the public and the private sectors. And so the higher fidelity that we can make those connections, the understanding of perspectives on on either side is absolutely the essential first step to recognize that this is an interface issue. It's a pathway that is not a clear journey from a laboratory to the marketplace. We've seen a transformation in the technology transfer world from one where intellectual properties are transitioned, are licensed to another entity. But in many cases, it's a longstanding relationship. In other cases, it's the creation of a startup enterprise that demonstrates the technology, that de-risks the technology uh, on the basis of the personal commitment of the entrepreneur, the early stage investors. And so it is so important that not only are there relationships that are established, relationships of trust, but the understanding that the journey of innovation uh, is one that has many pivots. And so realizing that the initial uh, research, the initial invention may have had a target, but what the marketplace needs and the adoption of uh, an invention or technology may take an entirely different and unexpected path. And so having relationships between the public and the private sectors, with the investment community, with corporate strategic partners, with customers that validate the, the pathway and the adoption of an invention is absolutely essential to understand so that value can be created. We've often heard the term, it takes a village. And there's been a greater recognition across the world that communities of innovation, ecosystems of support are essential for the technology transfer process to proceed successfully. We've seen for example, that there are relationships that can be created of a pro bono nature to early stage companies to nurture the high risk technologies and, and help them and the entrepreneurs on their way. I have enjoyed working with many uh, venture capital and early stage investment communities across the United States and around the world. And they have to love their entrepreneurs. They have to show them that their risk-taking is something that is valued and appreciated. 
we know that the risk of failure is extremely high for many kinds of uh, startup companies. And so recognizing those that take those journeys of, of personal risk, and I speak personally as well, having done a series of startups and, and uh, founded um, a number of technology and, and service enterprises, that uh, it's a, it can be a lonely journey. And so having a community, having support, having guidance and mentorship is absolutely essential to maintain the internal fire that's necessary for entrepreneurship to flourish. So, Walter, we've touched a little bit on how tech transfer in the U.S. has impacted uh, tech transfer globally. And I want to go a little bit deeper on that topic because tech transfer also has important implications for the global economy and the balance of power among nations. So how do you see technology transfer impacting these areas in the coming years? And what are the, some of the opportunities and challenges that we should be aware of? Technology transfer success breeds other successes. And so the reputation for being a nation of uh, innovation and uh, able to have a culture that ad adopts risk-taking uh, is an absolutely essential uh, implication for the global economy as well. That reputation of leading in innovation provides opportunities not only within the nation, but also for global uh, partnerships, uh, for global trade. The United States has strong momentum, certainly based on legislation and investment uh, in the science and technology enterprise. But magic doesn't necessarily happen as research is conducted. Uh, we've seen that uh, in the United States, some of the barriers that I uh, referred to uh, barriers that are uh, keeping some important technologies from actually making an impact in the marketplace. Uh, in other cases, uh, companies, the private sector, investors are not even aware of the types of opportunities that are coming out of the nation's uh, research enterprise. And so it's important within country that, uh, that those capabilities and opportunities are, are made uh, visible made available. And that puts a lot of emphasis on the role of technology transfer, the marketing aspects, the outreach aspects to ensure uh, that value is ultimately then created in the, uh, in the marketplace. It uh, is a driver certainly of, of global trade. I mentioned previously the importance of standards as well to, uh, to be the underpinning of global trade, but at uh, present time, we're seeing worrying signs that uh, standards processes are being changed. And ultimately, that as multiple standard systems around the world on, on a regional basis are established, it creates then barriers to trade, barriers to uh, the uh, global economy's uh, free operation. And it also requires companies that have a global footprint to then do multiple investments so that their products will be accepted in multiple regions. So this is a challenge. I believe that the private sector and governments are, around the world are perceiving now and able increasingly to understand that work needs to be done to enable the greater global sharing of standards and, uh, and the availability of companies to reach global markets. 
Walter, you've mentioned a little bit about AI and quantum computing so far in this podcast, and it's obvious they're becoming increasingly important. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on the potential impact on technology transfer with respect to these new technologies. It's exciting to see the revolution in quantum science engineering, quantum information science. It's a dynamic ecosystem and it's a global ecosystem. It's been important, I think, for the United States to recognize that partnering around the world, especially with like-minded nations and their research organizations for the future of quantum information science uh, is absolutely essential. Uh, No nation has a monopoly on the intellectual capital. Um, And also, I think it's important for partnerships amongst universities, government institutes around the world uh, to see each other as collaborators to harness the positive opportunities created by quantum information science. And uh, quantum devices, of course, have been known for quite some time. We've had the redefinition of the uh, international standard units, the uh, SI, uh, on the basis of quantum standards. So we're seeing it now in every aspect of life, how we measure time, how we measure mass now. And, uh, and it goes back to the beginning of the 1900s, the discovery of quantum phenomena, uh, the theory of uh, general relativity, the work of Max Planck, and now seeing the opportunities in computing, in measurement science, and with great computing power also, and, and with the speed comes also great risk. And, and so looking at our current encryption standards, the potential is that these can be compromised based on the computing power that is represented by large quantum devices. We also see in the globe that there has been a rush to try to standardize in the quantum information science space. Standardization, as mentioned, is extremely important for the economy and for global trade. But we also see that if standards are developed too early and locked in, they can actually stifle innovation uh, because then there's a mismatch between the potential of a technology, products, services, communication networks, uh, and the standards that have been put in place. So it's uh, it's a balancing act. It, re- it requires uh, partnerships, but it also requires the recognition of risks. And around the globe, there are preparations underway with new encryption standards, with new technologies to enable keys for uh, unlocking data uh, to be uh, transferred in a, in a safe and secure way. Well, we also know that there is a lot of data that is in repositories around the world that may be unlocked simply because of where they are. And so those risks also need to be taken into account uh, with respect to uh, personal security and then ultimately national security and global alliances. So, Walter, as the podcast comes so close, I wanted to ask you, how can we ensure that technology transfer remains a key driver of economic growth and national security in an era of such rapid technological change? And specifically, I'm hoping you can share with us what some of the most important steps are that must be taken to ensure that we're able to fully realize the potential of technology transfer for many years to come. 
I'm so glad you asked that question. And it's indeed a very exciting time globally as we see the impact of technology transfer and also its potential. We have seen the importance of clear, enforceable, predictable intellectual property rights as the underpinning for technology transfer globally. We also need to understand it's important to have intellectual property protections in key markets where products will be sold, as well as places where products will be manufactured. And that is a recognition that is increasingly important in nations around the world to support effective technology transfer, commercial development, and to allow innovators to receive a return on investment. It's increasingly important to continue to invest in technology transfer as a profession um, and also in the workforce of the future as these uh, technologies will require new skills, will require new dynamics. We're seeing this clearly also in the energy sector where we have uh, built infrastructure that has been focused around uh, utilization of fossil fuels increasingly renewable energy, technology transfer in these new fields, including those that uh, reflect uh, fusion energy opportunities that are so exciting at at this time. Uh, It's important there to have the right kind of protections, safeguards, but also then opportunities with the workforce. Uh, And increasingly, it's essential to have ongoing investment in science and technology that will enable economic returns uh, that we would have the kind of legislative and policy frameworks to increasingly enable intellectual property protections to allow commercial development uh, opportunities and, and intellectual property commerce itself, the business of licensing uh, continues to be an important driver of uh, of global trade. Certainly, we see that in the uh, high tech uh, sectors and in, in uh, information communications uh, technologies globally. And I would say, lastly, it's important to educate and to inspire the next generation, the next generation of researchers, manufacturers, technology professionals, and uh, and the academic community realizes also that it has an expanded role, uh, one that's not just about the research and, uh, and, and higher education that it provides directly, but now the partnerships across uh, nations, across communities, uh, ensuring that those who have been unreached by the innovation economy in the past are able to participate and enjoy the upside of the wave that, uh, that can then lift all boats. Thank you so much, Walter, for sharing all your expertise and insights with us today. This has been an absolute pleasure to learn more about the critical role that technology transfer plays in driving economic growth, as well as promoting national security. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap for this week's show. Catch you next time on the air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller, signing off for now. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us.
New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.